So I've shared in the past that one of the films I have always loved is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I'm talking about the 1971 version, not the one with Johnny Depp that makes me afraid. And in that movie, I'm sure everybody knows this story already, there's a little boy named Charlie who lives with his uh, widowed mother and his four grandparents who are bedridden. He's, they are, as a family, um, crushingly poor. And there is this incredible promise that the, the chocolate factory is going to have this competition. If you find a golden ticket in your chocolate bar, you get both a tour of the chocolate factory and, if you're lucky, a lifetime supply of chocolate which sounds like a pretty good deal. Charlie, of course, finds the golden ticket, and then he brings it back to his family. And we're going to pick up right where um, he comes to his grandpa, Joe, and asks him to go with him on the tour. I wish you could go. this in 20 years. Oh. Grandpa! I never thought my life could be anything but catastrophe. But suddenly I begin to see a bit of good luck for me. Cause I've got a golden ticket I've got a golden twinkle in my eye I never had a chance to shine Never a happy song to sing But suddenly half the world is mine What an amazing thing Cause I've got a golden ticket It's ours, Charlie I've got a golden sun up in the sky. Slippers, Charlie. Okay, I'd love to play the whole song, but I can't. A um, couple of things about this story that always stand out to me. Um, the, the first one, uh, and the one that kind of bothered me the most as a child, is either this is a miraculous healing that God does, or Grandpa Joe has been milking this invalid thing for 20 years because he gets up and he's dancing and clicking his heels in about five minutes. Um, but more importantly, um, th th this moment where they find this golden ticket that brings this incredible hope into his life isn't a moment that solves all their problems, right? Th th they are still desperately poor with this golden ticket. The best possible scenario is that they get a tour of a chocolate factory and a lifetime supply of chocolate for one person, which is not enough for them to survive on. Um, 
So this hasn't fixed everything, right? But, but all of a sudden, there's this glimmer, this glimpse of a future um, with hope. And, and just that glimpse of a future hope is enough to, to launch Grandpa Joe into action. And, and I think that's what's happening exactly in this story of Ruth and Naomi. If you remember last week, um, Naomi was locked in this desperate place of sorrow and pain. I, I'm sure you remember that Naomi's husband died, both of her sons died, leaving her um, widowed and, and childless. And when they returned to Bethlehem to her homeland, she changes her name from Naomi, which means pleasant, to, to Mara, which means bitter. And then at the beginning of chapter 2, when, when Ruth says, I'm going to set out and try to find us food, Naomi can literally only string together two words in the Hebrew, right? Go, daughter. And then Naomi comes back, and she's got this golden ticket, right? She's got this huge amount of food that she gleaned, and it doesn't solve all their problems, right? Two, uh, uh, one week of food for two people isn't enough to erase the issues in their life. But you notice how Naomi responds. There's this dramatic shift into hope for her. And she says, Blessed is the man who took notice of you. And when she discovers who it was, she says, Blessed is he by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Kindness there is hesed. It's the covenant faithfulness of God. And, and I love this moment that, that Naomi is sort of uh, as Lewis would say, surprised by joy, right? That she gets this glimpse of a future hope that she had given up on. And, and so I want to think this morning about, about how we find and, and handle and deal with those glimpses of future hope that God brings to us uh, in all seasons of our lives. And, and I want to um, point out a, a couple of quick things. The first is that in general, when God brings a glimpse of future hope into our lives, it comes in a time of sorrow and challenge, right? God doesn't usually come to us when we are on top of the world and say, let me give you some hope, right? Hope by its, by its nature comes in mostly in seasons of trial. And, and so Paul says, we rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So if you are in a season where you feel uh, run down or run over or um, run out of everything, um, that's exactly where God wants to come to speak hope to you. That's exactly when you should have your eyes open to that glimmer, that glimpse of God's redemption. Claire Booth Luce says, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. Uh, the other thing I, I would mention about finding hope uh, is not just when we find it in those seasons that are most difficult for us, but how we find it. We often find it together, right? Hope is contagious. And Ruth is a woman who is already full of hope, right? Ruth is a woman who goes out in her faithfulness and her courage and her perseverance. And, and, and she goes to, to find food. And because of her hope, now Naomi hopes too, right? That, that God is the source, but Ruth is the vessel to which hope is found and brought to Naomi. Uh, and, and I think this rings true in every story in Scripture. Every time somebody meets hope, uh, it, gets, 
it gets caught by somebody else. Right? Jesus is the embodiment of hope. Have you noticed what happens when people meet Jesus and, and get an idea of who he is in the scriptures? Uh, Andrew meets Jesus and immediately goes and calls Nathaniel to come and to follow. And Matthew meets Jesus and immediately throws a party, invites all his friends to come and hear about it. And the woman at the well meets Jesus and immediately goes to town and tells everybody that she ever knew that the hope is contagious, right? I have a friend who, uh, a friend in the church who signs all of her emails um, with the ending, God is on the move. I love that. God, it reminds me of Aslan, right? Aslan is on the move. Uh, and whatever she's writing about, um, she always signs that God is on the move. Um, when she sent me uh, pictures of the kids in Belize to whom she was distributing the shoes that she bought at our auction, at the bottom of her email it said, God is on the move. And when she shared with me the story of the end days of her mother's life and how much this church meant to her, she said, God is on the move. And her hope and the joyous and the difficult times in her life is infectious, it's contagious. So if we're looking to find hope, I think um, we have to begin by recognizing it comes in those seasons of sorrow and struggle, and it comes very often through other people, right, that hope is contagious. But it's not enough just to find it, right? Ruth and Naomi don't just discover some hope. They have to act on it, right? They have to act on it. And, and to make sense of what happens with Ruth and Naomi, we, we have to talk a little bit about um, this one phrase that Naomi says when she's explaining the identity of Boaz to Ruth, okay? Naomi says in verse 20, the man is a relative of ours, one of our nearest kin. The, the literal Hebrew word she uses is goel. Say goel. Uh, a goel is a, well, it's actually a word that has no real parallel in the English language. Sometimes it's translated as a kinsman redeemer, which I think is a helpful phrase. Um, but it's a really critical concept for us to understand. So Lawson Younger says, the kinsman redeemer, the goel, was the nearest adult male blood relative who served as an advocate for any vulnerable or unfortunate clan member in order to correct any disruption to clan wholeness, well-being, or shalom, peace, especially through the redemption or restoration of property, persons, or lineage. So, to unpack that a little bit, uh, a goel is not someone um, with an official title, right? It's not like you get deputized as the goel. Um, it is the, the closest male blood relative in a family, and it could be a very distant relative, as it is in the case of Boaz. We're not talking about uh, an uncle or a brother-in-law. Uh, it's a distant blood relative. And the, and the goel can do so many different things in Scripture, but it's always a choice, not an expectation. It's always a choice on behalf of that kinsman redeemer to act or not act. So sometimes the, the goel will um, redeem someone's property, right? If, if you get in financial straits and you have to sell your ancestral land, um, your goel might come in and say, hey, I'm a, I'm a relative of yours, and because I want our family, not our immediate family, but our clan family to stay intact, I'm going to buy your land back for you from the person you sold it to. 
Sometimes a goel would literally buy you back from debt slavery, right? If you had to sell yourself into slavery to pay your debts, the goel might buy you back. Uh, the goel sometimes was an advocate in court for you, right? If you were accused of something, they might stand up beside you and advocate for justice on your behalf. Sometimes in the Bible, there's a phrase called the avenger of blood, um, so if, if somebody, there's no, there's no court system, uh, I mean, sorry, a law and order system as we know it at the time, and so um, if somebody murders somebody else, it's the goel's job to go and find the murderer and bring them to justice, right? The avenger of blood. Uh, and sometimes the goel um, is responsible for carrying on the lineage of a clan member by fathering children that could receive the inheritance of that um, deceased person. So uh, the, the, the goel is a huge idea in Scripture, and I hope you've picked up on this already, but it is clearly modeled after what God has done for Israel, right? God is the goel of his people. Jesus is the goel of the church, right? He is the redeemer who's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters and who buys us back. So when Ruth discovers, when Naomi discovers who Ruth's um, been working for, and Ruth discovers who this man was, they recognize he is a goel. Now, here's the key. He has already been a goel. There is no certainty or expectation that he must do more than he has already done. He has already worked as a kinsman redeemer to make sure that they have food and sustenance in their family. But Ruth and Naomi go all in. They, they start making their choices based on this glimpse of future hope. Like Paul says, Beloved, I do not believe I have already received it, but this thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal of the heavenly prize of the call of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. They say, we're going to lean in to this glimpse of hope. We're going to act on it. We're going we're to make decisions based upon it. This is a, a, a famous thing that happens throughout all the Scripture. It's the evidence of, of faith. It's Abraham and Sarah leaving the land of, of his parents and moving to Canaan when they have very little knowledge even of who God is yet. It's of them believing that one day he might answer his promise and give them a nation that comes from themselves even though they don't have a child until they're 99 and 100 years old. It's that decision to act on the glimpses of hope that God gives us. I heard a wonderful speaker named Julie Funt, who's the author of a book called White Space at Work, talk a little bit about acting on hope. And we were in a seminar talking about you know, how to deal with all of the crazy world stuff we're dealing with, particularly COVID at the time was on our mind. And she said, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed and stressed and I'm down and depressed and even hopeless. And so she said, I have a very simple technique in my daily life for deciding what I will do and how hard I will do it. And she calls this technique laddering up. Laddering up, like climbing the rungs of a ladder. She says, all right, imagine that you have a meeting today. So I said, all right, well, imagine I have a, I have a Hearts of Hope meeting. We're going to talk about this ministry um, and how we might do it in a COVID world. And she says, what's the best possible outcome of that meeting? Like, what's the best possible way that event could go? All right, well, I'm having a Hearts of Hope meeting, and I guess the, the best possible event could be we leave with energy and direction and some good decisions are made. She says, okay, ladder up. Um, 
If, if that's your hope, ladder up. What's the next hope? Right? What, what might be the best outcome of that? All right, well, the, I guess the best outcome of a, a really good meeting and direction and decisions would be some energy that we bring to the church and maybe the, the church gets excited about the ministry and, and they really jump on board. She says, okay, ladder up. What's the, what's the best outcome of that? All right, well, I, I mean, I guess the best outcome of that would be that even in a COVID season, we're able to reach kids and families in a way that um, we've done before, maybe more than we've done before, and maybe um, to, to really make an impact. And, and those families learn about the love of Jesus in a way they've never experienced it before. She says, okay, that's great. Ladder up. Right? What's the best outcome of that? I guess the best outcome of that is that they come to love Jesus, right? And more people come to know our Savior Jesus Christ and His kingdom grows on this earth. She says, okay, so then this meeting you're going to have is really important, right? Because you're, you're living, you're acting on the hope of what this meeting might become because you're going to ladder up, right? I love that idea. I love that idea that we're called to ladder up, to act on the hope that God gives us. And that every step forward can become uh, a step towards the future that God has for us. So we got to find hope uh, and we got to act on hope. Um, but we also have to recognize that um, hope doesn't work on our timeline. And, and, and maybe you noticed this or maybe you didn't. It's a really positive story in the book of Ruth. Um, but again, it doesn't solve their problems. And it ends, this chapter ends in kind of a weird way. Okay, so they decide, hey, this is our Goel. We're going to go all in on him. Um, Ruth says, verse 21, he even said to me, stay close by my servants until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi says, yeah, go back and do that. Verse 23 says, so she stayed till the end of the barley and wheat harvests and she lived with her mother-in-law. So two things about this. Um, the barley and wheat harvest would last about seven weeks. Okay, so it's roughly two months that she's working in Boaz's field. And if she is as wildly successful every day as she was this first day in her gleaning, then by the end of those two months, she and her mother-in-law will have enough food for more than a year, which is incredible, right? So there's this huge hope there, but that doesn't ultimately change their situation. I mean, having food for a week or having food for a year is great, but they are still... Um, these widows without status or place or community in this world where there is no future for people like that. And, and they don't know if next year they'll have another Boaz moment where they get food for a week or a year. And they do know that if nothing changes, the line of their family will be extinguished because there are no children to carry it on. And so the story ends in a weird way, right? It ends with Ruth living with her mother-in-law. This is like that moment in a romantic comedy, right? Where the, the two people get together and it's like, oh, they're made for each other and look at this great moment and things are going well. And then nothing happens, right? And nothing happens and nothing happens. And she's still living with her mother-in-law. And I think we're supposed to get to the end of this chapter and say, wow, like what an amazing thing God has done. But it's clearly not over yet, right? I mean, this wouldn't be the happy ending we want. This is still kind of incomplete. We, we need more than this. And, and I think 
this is a reality in our lives, right? That even in those moments when we receive that glimpse of future hope, when we have a sense of what God might do for us, when we see the first fruits of His goodness in our lives, it doesn't usually mean that everything gets wrapped up with a bow in it and life is great. A lot of times it takes a lot of waiting. A lot of waiting. And I believe that waiting on hope is one of the most important things that we do as the people of God. You've got to wait on hope. Jim Collins, in his book, Good to Great, tells one of my favorite stories about a guy named uh, Admiral Stockdale. Admiral Stockdale was the highest-ranking American POW in the Hanoi Hilton in the Vietnam War. He was there for eight years, uh, and just an, an, an incredible guy. And um, while he was there, um, he owned the responsibility of leading and guiding and protecting the, the soldiers and sailors and airmen under, um, technically under his rank. And so that meant um, all kinds of things. It meant that when the, the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese, wanted to use him as a propaganda tool of how well-treated their prisoners were, he beat himself with a stool and disfigured himself with a razor so they couldn't put him in a video. It, it meant that over and over again, um, he was tortured because he refused um, to, to tow their line. Uh, it meant actually he taught all the, the other prisoners of war there a, a secret code he designed for communication in those seasons when people weren't allowed to talk to each other. Uh, in fact, um, one of my favorite stories was there was a point in the camp where they were on a, a silent lockdown or whatever, and um, the the soldiers who had learned this code to communicate to keep their hope up were sweeping the courtyard. And in uh, the code that was kind of like Morse code, they swept a pattern of we love you to Admiral Stockdale as they knew he was listening. Admiral Stockdale ultimately got out. And um, Jim Collins comes and talks to him later and says, um, tell me about you know, that experience and how you survived and who did and who didn't make it. And he said there were two folks that didn't make it. The, the pessimists didn't make it, right? The folks that got in and said, there's no hope, there's no way, we're going to die here. Well, most of them did. So the other group that didn't make it were the optimists. The optimists who said, hey, it's going to be great and we'll be out of here next week. We'll be out of here next month. We're going to be home by Christmas. And when they weren't, their spirits broke. I mean, Stockdale said those that survived were the ones that were willing to confront the brutal facts of their reality and combine that with an unquenchable hope that they would return home. And I love that idea, right, that, that our call as Christians is not to say that God's going to miracle away every problem we ever have. It's to confront the brutal facts of our reality that there are difficult things in our lives and in our world that Christ has called us to work on. But, but, God is not done with us. That the glimpses of future hope we have already received are the, the first fruits of the fulfillment of the kingdom of God that will come in time. And our call is to wait. And, and we've been waiting. We've been waiting for 2,000 years for our Savior to return, uh, for the kingdom to be fulfilled. But as we wait, we wait with hope. 
So I think this is our call today. Our call is to be a people who are willing to, to find those glimpses of hope that God offers, to act on them, to ladder up into faith, uh, and then to wait on hope and trust that God's grace, God's love is the fuel that gives us the strength to push forward into the future that He has promised. And to remember that we have a golden ticket. Right? It's not a candy bar. It's the cross that stands empty to the sky. It's the tomb where Christ is no longer buried um, but has arisen. That the promise of the victory of Jesus Christ is that in which we place our ultimate hope. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.